Morning, everybody. Love you to uh, turn this morning in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 32. I've been given quite a passage, well, three passages, Exodus 32, 33, and 34. Martin Lloyd-Jones preached eight sermons just on about a couple of verses, so <laughs> what chance do I stand? <laughs> um, but it's great to be with you, and uh, I love the time of worship. Love the time of worship. I felt the time of worship was prophetic, because in the time of worship, I think virtually everything which happened was on the theme that God has put on my heart to speak this morning. So I'll get into that a little bit later. <clears throat> if I had a, a title for this morning, I struggle with the title. I'd like to call it Revival Praying. Is Moses really praying for revival in a nation? And I've entitled it actually Moses the Mediator, but it is um, a real sense of revival prayer. We're going to look in verse 1 of chapter 32, and I obviously can't read three chapters, so I'm just going to have to read the introductory passages, and then I'll just, you'll have to read the others on your own. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves to Aaron and they said, Up, make us gods, whom shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hands and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you, <clears throat> who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day, they offered burnt offerings, they bought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and to drink, and then rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, go down, and I want you to notice here, for your people, whom you brought up out of the land, have corrupted themselves. They've turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They've made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it. And they've said, These are the gods, O Israel, that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people, and behold, it's a stiff-necked people. Now for let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and that I may consume them, in order that I may make out of you a great nation." <clears throat> but Moses implored the Lord his God and he said O Lord why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand why should the Egyptians say with evil intents did he bring them out and kill them on the mountain 
and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your burning anger and relent of this disaster against your people. <clears throat> Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised, I will give your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster <clears throat> that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Father, I pray that you keep me from being long-winded this morning and boring. I pray, Lord, that you bless this dear church. I thank you so much for them. Thank you that they are a shining light here in Hailsham of the goodness and the greatness of God. And I pray as we look into this um, difficult passage, perplexing passage, that you, Lord Jesus, would open our eyes and glorify the Lord Jesus. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you could title it <clears throat> Prayer for Revival or Moses the Mediator. It had only been a few weeks since Israel, as you've been going through the book of Exodus, had camped at Mount Sinai. Now, Mount Sinai was a trembling place to be. They had to put a fence around the bottom. You weren't allowed to go anywhere near the mountain or you weren't allowed to touch the mountain lest you die. If your animals went there, you weren't allowed to touch them. You had to shoot them through. And God was underlining his holiness. The mountain shook. There was thunder. There was lightning. There was a voice. And the people, the people trembled. And blood was shed. And a covenant with the people was made. And the people said this. The people says... All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. I wonder if you've ever said that. All that God has spoken to me, I will do. I shan't ask for a show of hands. I'm going to serve you, Lord, like never before. Because that's what the people did. Moses goes up the mountain to talk with God. And God, who is the all-seeing God, says there's trouble in the camp. The people have made a golden calf. Very quickly, they'd moved from everything God says to taking off their earrings and making a golden calf. They'd pushed Aaron into leading them into this. And Aaron, you see the vulnerability of a leader, he just went along with the will of the people. He said, all right, we'll do it when he fashioned a golden calf. And then they said to the calf that they just made, they said to the calf, you are the one who brought us out of Egypt. I mean, Isaiah uses that and he says, the reason that idol worship is so stupid is because it degrades God. It makes God like a creature that has a mouth but cannot speak, has eyes but cannot see, has ears that cannot hear. Whereas our God is the living God who acts. But not only that, when you make an idol, you become as daft as the idol. And these people make an idol, the thing they've just made, they say to it, you delivered us from Egypt. It's crazy. And God says to Moses, they've made an idol. 
He said, I've had enough of them. He said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to wipe them all out, the whole nation, clean them out. Except for you, Moses, and your family. And I'm going to start again with you. I'm going to fashion you and make a great nation just with you and your family. What an offer. What an offer. I wonder how you would feel if God said that to you today. I'm going, to, I'm, going to wipe, I'm going to wipe all those people out. I'm going to start with you. Anything you like. We'll do whatever you like. Whatever's on your agenda, we'll do. Just with you. He said, wow, what a tempting offer. What a tempting offer. Moses was also the um, son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now God was saying, I'll just make of you a great nation. What an offer. And here we see Moses as the mediator who stands between God and stands before man and he intercedes on behalf of this nation which God has said he was going to wipe out because of their idolatry. We see Moses standing in the gap and praying a prayer for revival. I've often wondered, with the state of our world, why God puts up with it any longer. I've often wondered, when I've got to the stage with watching the news, I thought, I just can't watch it anymore at 10 o'clock at night. It so disturbs me. I thought, I don't know if I can cope with it. I have to say, God, give me grace to even listen. You think, not another atrocity, not another child that's been abused, not another murder, some kid on the street, not another atrocity, in the, not another thing, not another, not another. It's night after night after night. You thought, God, why do you even put up with any of us? Why don't you just say, that's it, I'm going to blow the final whistle and wind it all up. Moses stands in the gap <laughs> and he prays. And it's a prayer of revival which changes God's course of action because of Moses' prayer. I want you to note how he prayed because I believe it's how we should pray for Hailsham, it's how we should pray for our nation, it's how we should pray for the world. The first thing I, <clears throat> I find is that Moses appeals to God on behalf of his grace and his mercy. In verse 7, God says to Moses, they are your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt. And then we come to verse 11, and it says, and Moses prayed or implored the Lord his God, and he says, oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? whom you brought up out of the land. They're not my people, they're your people. And he said this, that you delivered them, O oh God, with a mighty, mighty outstretched arm. You're the one who delivered them, you're the one who brought them up here. And what he's doing, he's reminding God that he saw the misery of the people in Egypt. He saw their misery and he says, I'm going to go down and deliver them. He's reminding God of the plagues that he brought on the gods of Egypt. He's reminding God most of all of the lamb that was slain 
the Passover lamb, which was slain and pasted over the door lintels, and everybody escaped and were delivered and saved because of the blood of the Lamb. He was reminding God in prayer, the blood of the Lamb has bought us. The blood of the Lamb has redeemed us. The blood of the Lamb has saved us. My friend, when we pray for our friends and neighbors, we should be crying, Lord, let us see the travel of your soul and be satisfied. Let the, let the blood of the Lamb touch my neighbors. Let the blood of the Lamb touch our streets. Let the blood of the Lamb become precious. Let the blood of the Lamb become that which is known on the Alpha Course. Let the blood of the Lamb touch and save many people. What Moses doesn't do, he does not plead the people's merits. He doesn't say, oh, well, they're not really that bad. They, they, you know, they, I know there's a few good ones among them. No, 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 no. He doesn't go anywhere near that. His only plea is this. It is the blood of the Lamb. You delivered them, God, with your mighty outstretched arm. I wonder if you've ever felt you've been a bit fickle with God. I have been. I've said at one time, God, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to go wherever you say I'll go. And then God has spoken and said, why don't you go and speak to that person over there in the middle of Sainsbury's? And he said, well, I'm not so sure about that. Or why don't you go there and you sort of have a tussle. And one minute you're going to serve God. All my life you've been faithful. You've been so, so good. I'll do whatever you want. And then God says, well, what about doing this? What about doing that? And we think, well, I'm not so sure. I wonder if you've ever been fickle. Sometimes we can say, I'll do better next time. I'll pull my socks up. I'll try a bit harder. I'll try and be a bit more zealous. Try and pray. Now, there's only one prayer that we have. If you come here this week, you feel you've let God down again and again and again and again. If you feel that you've been fickle. If last week you were here in church and saying, Lord, all my life you've been faithful. I'll serve you. And this week you've let him down. There's only one prayer which brings you into the presence of God. And that is the prayer, thank you, Lord, that it was your blood that was shed for me. Thank you, Lord. The reason that I'm set free, that I'm saved, is not because of any merit in me. It is because of the blood of the Lamb. We're told in Ephesians, remember, remember this, that at one time you were dead. Remember that. At one time you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you used to live. But now... God, who is rich in mercy and rich in grace, has ransomed us and brought us who were far away. He's brought us near into his presence by the blood of the Lamb. Aren't you grateful for that? I find this. I find as a, as a leader, I have to gospel myself every single day. I preach the gospel to myself every day. I'm acceptable not because I've been a good person. I haven't been a good person. I'm acceptable to God because of one thing and one thing only. Jesus died for me and shed his blood for me on the cross. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All my life you've been faithful. God has been faithful. All my life you've been so, so good. I'm going to sing of the goodness of God. Not my own goodness. I'm going to sing of the goodness of God. Amen? Amen? That was his prayer. Lord, you did it. It was the blood of the Lamb 
It was your mighty power which delivered the people and brought them into this nation. You did it. Secondly, not only the blood of the Lamb or the grace and mercy of God, but his second appeal is to the glory of God. In verse 12, it says this, Why should the Egyptians say, With evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them on the mountain and consume them from the face of the earth? And what he's appealing to here is, is, the, is the glory of God and God's reputation. And he's saying this, he's saying, if you wipe the whole nation out, then the Egyptians would say, will say this. They say, there you go, I told you. God is evil. He just wanted all of those people to go into the desert just so he could kill them all. They'd have done better to have stayed in Egypt, worshipping our gods, and at least, yeah, at least they'd have had some food, and at least things wouldn't have been so bad. Now you've killed them all. And Moses pleads this. And he's appealing, it's your reputation, Lord, that's at stake. It's your glory that's at stake. It's the glory of God that's at stake. Do you know one of the things which is featured so much in revival preaching? It has been a theme on the holiness and the glory of God which has come through again and again and again and again. One of my lecturers at Bible College, um, a guy called R.E. Davis, he's dead now, he wrote this amazing book, it's called I Will Pour Out My Spirit. And he talks about revival Preaching, he says, the nature of revival preaching and testimony needs to be noted. It was powerful, it was urgent, it was relevant, it was Christ centered communication of the gospel, emphasizing holiness and the grace of God. It was glorifying unto God, it was glorifying his great name. I was so thrilled this morning in the worship that we started with that lovely song. I only know the old version, Be Thou My Vision. <laughs> Thou art my vision, wasn't it? And then we sang some other ones, extolling again and again and again the glory of God. I want to tell you this. I sense, as you dig in to worship more and more and more, you're going to see a manifestation of the power and presence of God breaking open among you, seeing people touched and saved and people healed as you worship God and adore, adore him and glorify him. I believe God is going to do something in your midst. That's what I believe. That's what I sensed was happening this morning. I'm sad in the charismatic world, which I've part of, that sometimes there's a drift just to sing songs which are about me and mine and this, and, and you think, hold on a minute, there's a drift. It, we, we got into this because we wanted to worship and glorify the Lord Jesus, be filled with the Holy Spirit, honour his name. This is a revival hymn. I read it this morning, sang it this morning, not very well, but sang it on my own in my own quiet time. It, it says, praise my soul, the King of heaven. To his feet thy tribute bring. Ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Who like him his praise shall sing. Praise him, praise him. Praise him, praise him. Praise the everlasting King. Revival has always been centered on God's glory, his holiness, his majesty, his mercy. It's never, ever, ever been centered on us. And I get nervous sometimes when worship drifts that way. I was thrilled this morning. Your worship was so God-centered. 
but that's sometimes there's been a drift. I want to honor you for making your worship totally and utterly God-centered because there God dwells in the midst of the praises of his people. And that's where we can expect the activity and power of the Holy Spirit to work in a powerful way. Well done. Go for it. Love being with you. Maybe I'll come and join this church, I think. <laughs> it's great. There's an appeal to the glory of God. Do you know in revival praying that it has come through again and again and again the glory of the name of God? The famous prayer in Isaiah 64, Oh, that you would come down in power, that you'd rend the heavens and come down. Let your name be known. Glorify your name. It was David who went out against the Goliath of his day. And Goliath says, you come to me like a, a little boy with sticks and stones. Am I some sort of dog? And then David says, you come and you've defied the armies of the living God. And today God is going to give you into my hand. I'm a covenant child of God. You're not. And God's going to give you into my hand. In order that... In order that the whole world will know that God is alive today. That was the motivation of his heart going against Goliath. In order that the whole world will know that God is alive. When we come to the New Testament, we read about Jesus. There is a name that's above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every name shall bow in heaven on earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. My friends, let's really seek to honor the name of Jesus, which you're doing. Let's seek to glorify his name and let's proclaim his name to the world. It has been a feature of revival praying, the glory of God. So Moses' prayer was, first of all, it was on the grace and the mercy of God. Then secondly, it was about the glory of God. And then thirdly, with his prayer, it was also about the promises of God. I want you to look in verse 13. It says, in verse 13, he says, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. Here's the promise. God, you said you would multiply so we would be like the stars of heaven. From one seed, you're going to multiply and multiply and multiply. And basically, Moses is saying, if you wipe them all out, that promise will never happen. That's what he's saying. How can that promise? You've promised it. If that doesn't happen then you're not true to your promises. He's, he's very, very courageous in his praying. We used to try and teach the boys honesty when they were growing up. We've got three sons. And um, I would always try and try as best I could to keep my word. So if I said I'd do something, I would always try and keep my word. So they'd say before dinner, they said, uh, Dad, will you come and play football with us? And you're busy, you're getting dinner ready or helping. And you say, we'd, we'd be doing it after dinner. 
Then after dinner, the phone would go, or you'd be doing something, and uh, they said, Dad, you said you'd come and play football with us. I'm, well, I'm just busy at the moment. Dad, you said after dinner. He said, and they nail you at your word. The children, they learn that pretty quickly. Dad, you said. You said. I had an uncle once. He used to ask me what I'd like for Christmas. He used to say. And then suddenly when Christmas come, it was uh, nothing there. He thought, actually, it was all sort of empty words. He thought, I'd, he'd ask you the next year. He thought, oh. give up on this, not a person of his word. God is not a man that he would lie. He's not like us. He wouldn't lie. And Moses said, Lord, you said to Abraham, this is your covenant you're going to multiply him so all the families of the earth will be blessed. Do you know that that promise was taken hold of in the early church in the book of Acts? That they got hold of that promise and that was one of the reasons for the advance in the early church. We are the covenant people of God. God's covenant is this, that he would bless all the families of the earth through the seed of Abraham. This is God's promise. And that's why in the book of Acts that the move of God spread so powerfully because they were praying in, they were believing, they were lining up with the purposes and the promises of God. I was thrilled that you were praying for your neighbour. We pray for our neighbours. I believe this. I believe if you're a Christian here, you are a born-again Christian I believe that God puts you in your house where you are so that you will be a blessing to those around you. I believe that. I believe that God will put you in your job so that you will be a blessing to others around. He says in Psalm 67, God will bless us that all the ends of the earth will fear him. And God's way is for us to say, Lord, you your covenant, you've brought me into your family through the blood of the Lamb. I'm praying these covenant promises. I pray now, use me. Use me to break into my neighbors. Use me to see the kingdom advance. When we lived in Horham, we moved to Horham. When we first got married, we started to pray for our neighbors. We saw four of them get saved into the kingdom of heaven. We were then invited to go to Hastings by Don Smith and to help lead the church there or be part of the team. We moved to Hastings. We moved into a new house. And there were eight houses around. And it was a time when there were some campaigns which Billy Graham actually was doing through a live link. Shows you how many years ago, many, many years ago. And I, I went to my neighbor next door and I knocked on the door and I said, oh, hi. I said, um, we just wondered if you might like to come to the Billy Graham thing. And he said, no! And he, he, I mean, literally like that. And he slammed the door in my face. And to be honest, it was quite disturbing because he's my next door neighbor. So I went home to Ruth and I told Ruth, we got down our knees and we prayed. And this is what we prayed. We said, Lord, 
either that man gets saved into the kingdom of heaven or we pray that you'd move him and move in somebody who is open. Six months later, he came round and knocked at the door. He never apologized for the way he reacted, by the way. And he said, oh, I just want you to know that um, my wife's been offered a job and we've been moving in a, in a few months. I thought, ooh, what a relief. <laughs> Didn't tell him that. He moved. And a Chinese family moved in who ran the Chinese restaurant down the road, which was quite handy. <laughs> we got to know them, all right. <laughs> And one day, Betty, the wife, said, can I come to church with you? So he says, yes, please do. She came to church, and it was probably the worst service we've ever had in our lives. The administrator had a, had a spiritual blackout, I think, because she decided to have um, a fire alarm in the middle of the service, just a fire practice. So in the middle of the service, we all had to run out the building. And then I thought, oh my word, of all the Sundays for Betty to come, you know, this is the worst. And then we all came back in, you said, oh, this is dreadful. You so wanted to be good. Betty gets saved. <laughs> Betty gets saved into the kingdom of God. She goes home and she tells her husband, Kwang, he gets saved into the kingdom of God. She tells her daughter, and she gets saved into the kingdom of God. They start a Bible study in that very home for Chinese people with a Chinese pastor coming into their home where the man slammed the door in my face and said no. Because I believe the covenant promise of God that through us, through me, will all the families of the earth be blessed. I believe it. God said it. I believe it. And it's not just for me, I believe it's for all of us. Because we're the children of Abraham. We're children of the covenant. And the promises of, of God are this, that God will bless you. And this is my understanding of the doctrine of election, by the way. That God singles out people and says, I will bless you and put my spirit upon you, that you might be a blessing unto others. God will bless us, Psalm 67, that all the ends of the earth will fear him. Sometimes I get concerned with people when they just get so concerned about themselves all the time and their needs and they think, I don't despise that in one little bit. But of course we care for one another, but what about the rest of the world? And God wants to bless you so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. We lived in Sydney, Australia, and then we moved back to Hassocks, or to Hassocks, back to Sussex. We have 14 neighbours, and we're all in charge of this field. We have to run this field near us. We all live around it. It's our responsibility to manage this field. We get together, so we thought this is our little mission field. We start praying for the neighbours. We start praying one after another after another. We've had the privilege now of praying with eight of the families. They haven't all got saved. But David, one of our neighbours we're praying for, he suddenly found that he had, I shan't, I've got to be careful what I say, he suddenly found that he was ill. 
when he was in hospital. And I sent him a text telling him how to get right with Jesus, how to give his life to Jesus. And he wrote back and he said, I'm not really ready for this, Steve. And I thought, oh, you've blown it. You've totally blown it, Steve Brady. The next day he sends me another text and he said, I have prayed through every step of what you said in your text. I've asked Jesus to come into my life and to help me. I'm going round to their house tomorrow night for dinner because my wife, who'd love to be here this morning, she's on a reunion with some friends. God has put you in Hailsham. He's put you in your road. He's put you in your family. He's put you in your office. He wants to bless you, not just so you keep it to yourself. Oh, isn't that lovely Sunday morning? But so that you line up with Moses' prayer and you say, God, will you reach my neighbors? Your promise through Abraham was to bless all the families of the earth. Now I pray for your gospel to advance down our road into my neighbors, into other families, into my workplace because I believe that I'm a covenant child of God, lining up with the promises of God. Get hold of the promises of God and pray them into being. Let me give you another couple of promises. Jesus said this. He said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit will last. Here's another promise from Jesus. I will do whatever you ask in my name. That's the clue. So if you say, oh, let's ask for a, a Rolls Royce, you know, to take us home today. It says here, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. That's the key in your praying. Is your prayers at the end of the day glorifying to the Lord Jesus? Or is it just about you and your selfish things? And of course God cares about your needs. Of course he does. And he loves you. But is what you're asking going to glorify the Lord Jesus? These are promises, my friends, that we've got to get hold of in this day. I have never seen our world in such a mess. I've never seen the UK in such confusion, such sadness, such a mess. It saddens me, because I'm in my 70s now. You think, what on earth are my grandchildren growing up into? We've got to pray, beloved, because God has blessed us so that all the ends of the earth may fear him. Get hold of the promises of God. Believe that God's blessed you to make you a blessing unto others about, around you. Can you say amen? You don't have to go and tell the neighbours, um, by the way, God's blessed me so I can bless you. No, no, no. Just, just pray it. Pray it. Make me a blessing to them. Don't be off-putting. Be a blessing to them. So we see Moses' prayer. How, how, what time do we finish? Have I got two minutes left? We finish at half past, do we? All right. Ha-ha. <laughs> I'll finish with the last bit. That's his prayer. We also see Moses' heart. Because Moses comes down the mountain and he sees firsthand that the people have made a golden calf. 
that they're having an orgy, that they're playing, they're laughing, they're worshipping this golden calf. He's so furious that he throws the tablets down which shatter, which is symbolic of them breaking the covenant. And then he calls for radical discipleship, says, separate yourselves unto God. What on earth are you doing? 3,000 people actually die. And then the next day he goes up the mountain and this is where we see the heart of a revival prayer. He says this, he, he goes up with another prayer and he says to God, please God, will you forgive them? And he said, and if you won't forgive them, he says, then blot my name out of the book of life and spare them. Take me out of it and save them. Now, of course, God doesn't do that because Moses, too, is just a sinful man and needs to be forgiven, but is a pointer to the one who will one day come, who is totally man and totally God, and who will bear our sin and will bear our shame and save you and me into the kingdom of God. Moses becomes a pointer of the Lord Jesus. And then God comes with this other arrangement. He says, all right, this is what I'll do. He says, I'll let you go into the promised land. He said, I'll let that happen. He said, you can go. He said, I will send an angel ahead of you, get rid of all of the enemies. I won't wipe everybody out at the moment. No, I, you can go ahead into the promised land. There'll be an angel, but I myself will not go with you. And Moses will have none of it. We see his heart for the people, take my life, but we see his heart ultimately for God. Lord, if you don't go with us, then I'm not going. If you're not in that venture, I'm not going to get involved in it. There's somebody here who's wondering about a work scheme. Shall I go down this route? Get involved in that scheme. The question is, is it God involved in it? Because Moses was saying, I'd rather stay in the wilderness having fellowship with God in this little tent than go into the promised land with all the milk and the honey and being delivered from the enemies with no God, without God. I want the presence of God. That's what he's saying. If you're not going, then I'm not going because it's the presence of God which brings joy, it's the presence of God which brings rest, it's the presence of God which brings distinction and it's by your presence that all the ends of the earth will know that you're with us. That's what marks us out. So Moses was a revival prayer, but he was a man with a revival heart. He had a heart for the people, and he had a heart, ultimately, for God, his glory, and his power. God wants you to be a revival people. Your worship, you glorify God. He wants you to pray for your friends and neighbours. Let's tell Hailsham. Let's tell the world about our Lord Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this amazing prayer from Moses. We thank you for his love for the glory of God. We thank you for his love for the promises of God. And I pray that you help these dear people here in Hailsham to move in the promises and in the blessing of God to see their friends and their neighbors saved.
I can see quite clearly that there's somebody going to go into a venture, something, and I just have a sense that God's not in it. And you need to think twice about it, whether you would, if you're going to go into something without the presence of God, check, talk to the elders, pray, seek God, but don't go. If God doesn't go with you, it's not worth going. Stay where you are. May God bless you.